Turn, if you would, tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for a place that we can come and assemble tonight. We're thankful, Lord, for the strength and the health that you've given us this week. God, I pray that you would bless now the effort to preach your word, that you would use it to uh, speak to our hearts, that you would use it to help us, Lord, in our walk with you. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this evening, keeping in mind what has been dealt with over the last couple of weeks in our study of 1 Corinthians, I want us to remember that last week in verse number 16 of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul said to the believers, Wherefore, I beseech, ye, beseech you, be ye followers of me. And so in that verse, what we saw was the Apostle Paul was pleading with them and he was begging of them. Uh, to follow or to imitate or to mimic the example that he had given before them in their spiritual lives. He was not looking for them uh, to give them or to give him their loyalty. He was not trying to make followers of himself. But what the Apostle Paul was trying to do was say, look at my example from a spiritual perspective, and that is what you need to imitate, that is what you need to follow, that is what you need to mimic. And in light of that, last week I asked us to consider this question, could we encourage people to follow our spiritual lives? Could we look at someone over here who may be struggling, who may be going astray, who may be having a hard time, could we say to them, hey, listen, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're dealing with, you just follow my example and everything will be okay, everything will be fine. Can we suggest tonight that we would like to encourage others to follow our spiritual example? That is a big question to consider. It is. And uh, I hope that we can answer, yes, I would feel comfortable with someone following my example, but we may not all feel that level of comfort. So that's what we talked about last week. Tonight we're going to be uh, concluding or finishing this uh, chapter. Of course, we'll go on to Chapter 5 next week, but tonight we're going to finish up Chapter 4. As we do, I want to have us think about something that all of us have experienced at some point in our lives. That would be this, that at some point, every one of us have been tested. Would you agree? At some point, every one of us have been tested. Now, as I say that, you may be thinking about spiritual testings, and you may say, oh man, I know what it's like to be tested spiritually, and certainly spiritual tests do come in our lives, but I don't want us to be quite so spiritually minded right now, and I just want us to think about this truth, that every one of us at some point have been tested. We were certainly, as students, tested in different classes, were we not? As we have grown, as we have moved into the workforce, maybe because of the job you have, uh, whatever profession you're in, there may have been different times where you have had to take certain tests, maybe for qualifications, maybe for advancement, whatever it may be. And so every one of us at some point in our lives have experienced a test. Okay, that being said, we also have probably experienced something like this. That the one who was administering the test 
told us what we needed to know, that this was important to them. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you were going into a, a situation where you knew that there was a test awaiting you and they said, you will need to know this, you will need to know this, this is very important, you don't need to worry about this, but this is of utmost importance. Here is what the one administering the test has just said. This is important to me or whoever the higher-ups are. And because it is important to me, it now needs to be important to you. You, you understand this principle, right? It's important to us, so now it is in your best interest for this to be important to you. So we've been in that situation. We've been in that position where we've been given a test. We've been told this is what's important to us or what's important to upper management, whatever it may be. And so as we have sat down and taken the test or as we have gone through the steps, whatever it was, I want us to think about this. Suppose for just a moment it was a history test in school. And they said, we're covering the Civil War. You need to know the events that led up to it. You need to know some of the context about the Civil War. You need to know about the, the major players in the, in the Civil War and the leadership and both sides, etc. This is what is important for the test. So suppose you sat down and you began to write out those essay questions and you eloquently wrote so much information in relation to World War I. What good has that done you? It hasn't done you any good whatsoever, has it? Because that was not what was important to the one administering the test. As great as it may be to know everything that you know about World War I, what you were being tested over was the Civil War. And so just because you waxed eloquent over here about World War I, you didn't do so well because you didn't do what was most important. If at work they're testing you over safety policies and you answer questions according to administration, well, guess what? You're not going to fare so well. Because, again, you're not testing or you're not doing what they said was important and what mattered most. Now, this may not seem real interesting at first, but... There's a principle in this that I want us to consider as we go through the message tonight. So go back to verse number 16 where we concluded last week. The Apostle Paul said, Wherefore, I beseech you, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. So we understand from the review and just basic understanding what the Apostle Paul has said. I am pleading with you. I am begging with you. Follow me. Imitate me. Mimic me. Now in verse 17 he said this. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So as we read verse 17, we have a pretty good understanding who delivered this letter to the believers of Corinth, right? It was 
Paul's son in the ministry, the young man named Timothy. He said that this is my beloved son, again, the son in the ministry. And Paul identified Timothy as one who was faithful in the Lord. So this was someone that the apostle Paul obviously had some confidence in. And he said, here is what Timothy is going to do because of his faithfulness. He is going to bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ. And so as Paul has said in verse number 16, I want you to follow me. He says in verse 17, now what Timothy is going to do is he is going to remind you of how I handled myself, how I conducted myself, and how I behaved myself. Because see, I've been away for a while, the Apostle Paul might be able to say, and you may have forgotten some of the ways in which I handled myself. You may have forgotten some of the things I said, some of the things I did. And so he said, what Timothy is being sent to do is not only to deliver this letter, but he has been sent for the purpose of reminding you of my way of life, my conversation, my manner of existence, which be in Christ. And he said, as I teach everywhere in every church. And so what he is saying is this, listen, the same thing that I taught you, I've been teaching other people in other churches. The same example that I gave you, I have tried to be in other churches. So Paul is saying, Timothy is going to remind you of who I am, the minister and the servant that I am, so that you can more accurately follow my example. So notice what he says in verse number 18. He said, now some of you, or now some, are puffed up. What does it mean to be puffed up? It means this, to be arrogant. It, it means to be um, aired up, so to speak. It, it's these people, as you know, they are... They are very high on themselves. They're very impressed with themselves. He had said in verse number 6 that they were also puffed up, and he didn't want them to be puffed up. And so in verse number 18, he said, You are puffed up. Some of you are, which means you are arrogant. You are inflated. You are pretty proud of yourself. And notice what he said next. He said, Now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you. Now you know what he's just said? He's just said, some of you are arrogant, and you think that I won't come back to Corinth. Now, if you think about this, here's what you begin to see pretty clearly if you've missed it the first three and a half chapters. Paul is striking a very authoritative tone. Okay, if, if you didn't catch it in the first three and a half chapters, notice it now, okay? He said, some of you are puffed up as though I would not come to you. You are so arrogant. You are so inflated. You are so stuck on yourselves. Here is what you are doing. You're sitting around and you have concluded that I will not come to you. You think I'm not going to deal with this? You think that I'm not going to address this? So notice what he says in the first part of verse 19. He said, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will. So here's what Paul said. You think I'm not going to come? He said, I want you to know I have every intentions of coming. If the Lord gives me leadership, if the Lord gives me liberty to do so, I am coming to you. And notice what he said in verse 21. He said, what will ye? What do you want this meeting to be like? If God allows, if God gives me liberty, if God gives me leadership, I am going to come back to Corinth shortly. 
and you need to decide what kind of meeting you want this to be. He said, shall I come unto you with the rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? Paul said concerning the issues that are plaguing the church right now, he said, you're so arrogant that you think I won't come back and deal with this. You're so arrogant that you think I won't come back and address this. He said, you need to understand something. If God gives liberty, I will come. And we are addressing this one of two ways. I don't care which way we do it. You need to decide. So I can either come with a rod, which means basically I can come with a heavy hand, and we can begin the discipline process. We can begin addressing this in a very rough and and aggressive manner, or I can come in the spirit of love and with the spirit of meekness. But again, he says to the Corinthian believers, he said, this is on you, you decide. But if you go back to verse 19, he said, I will come to you shortly if the Lord will. And notice what he said next, and will know. What does it mean to know something? It means this, to understand or to perceive something. So he says to them, whenever I come, here's what I'm going to try to know, here's what I'm going to try to understand, and here's what I I want to see. Not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. Now, if you think about this, here's what the Apostle Paul has just done. He has just laid out for the Corinthian believers what is important to him when he comes back to Corinth. It would be kind of like a test being administered to a student and the teacher saying, okay, this is what you need to know. This is what's important. This is what's going to be dealt with. Here is the Apostle Paul, and he is saying to the believers, I am coming if God gives liberty, and when I come, here is what I am going to concern myself with. Here is what I am going to give attention to. This is what you will be evaluated on, not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power of the ones who are puffed up. Why would he focus on that? Because he said in verse number 20, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. So here's Paul, and as he's writing to the believers, he said, What I'm going to give attention to is not your words, but the power of God in your life. Because in the kingdom of God, here's what matters. The power of God being manifested in your life and not the speech or the words that come from your life. Does this make sense? Paul said, whenever I come, I'm not concerned with what you have to say. I want to witness how you live and how the power of God is manifested in your lives. So if you think about the context, if you think about things that have been discussed to this point, 
what the Apostle Paul is saying is as I come to you and as I begin to evaluate and as I begin to look, you need to decide how you want this meeting to go. Do you want it to be with the rod of discipline or would you rather it be with love and the spirit of meekness? But he said, I can promise you this, what I'm going to be looking at are the actions and not the words. So here's the Apostle Paul writing this to the believers. And so here are the believers. They are reading this. They are processing this. There's a strong authoritative tone in the words that are being spoken. I don't know how everyone responded to this, but I do know this, that if they wanted Paul to come with love and a spirit of meekness, there were some things that needed to be addressed and things that needed to be changed immediately. Like what? How about some humility? Because they were puffed up. <laughs> Just, uh, I know it's hot, but at least smile or something, okay? All right. The pride was killing the church, was it not? It was. Okay, and so that is obviously not a manifestation of the power of God working in their lives. Okay, so they had pride in their lives. They, they, they certainly did not then have humility as a result of their pride and their lack of humility. We know that they had division, which meant they were lacking unity. Okay, so we understand that because of their pride and their lack of humility, they had division now, and so that meant they no longer had humi- uh, unity. And we know that that was not a, a manifestation of the power of God working in their lives. And there were other issues that were present in the church that will soon be addressed. But, I mean, there were issues of immorality. There were issues of holiness. There were issues of selfishness. I mean, there were many things that were plaguing the church. But, but again, just up to this point, we've got pride and we've got arrogance and we've got division and we've got strife. And Paul said none of this. No matter how good you speak, no matter how good you talk, no matter how eloquent you present yourselves or you present your arguments or you present your loyalties to different spiritual leaders, none of that matters because what really matters is the power of God in your life which would be manifested in a right life or right living. So again, who cares what you say if how you live is contradictory to what you say? So you can write a wonderful essay, Corinthian believers, on the Christian life and what the Christian life is to look like and what a Christian is supposed to do and how they're supposed to handle themselves. But see, that's all speech. That's all just word. That's all lip service. If it is not supported by actions that manifest the power of God in your life, then who cares about what you have to say? We can appreciate, I hope tonight, what the Apostle Paul was trying to communicate. When I come... I care about action more than I care about conversation. I care more about the deeds than I do what you say or you profess with your lips. 
It is not enough to just say it. You have to do it. You have to live it. Now this evening, I know that you know this, okay? We're not going to spend a long time on this, so don't, don't get nervous or anything of that nature. But I think that you know, if you give any attention to this kind of stuff at all, you know that we are living in an era where people who are religious in nature are convinced that if they speak it, that is as good as living it. And so you say something like this to them, uh, your words don't really matter, what matters is action. And they will look at you like, what truck did you fall off of? Because that's not how it works today in our society. See, as I was putting the sermon together, I, I thought, do I know anybody like this? And it took me like half a second to say, yes, I know someone like this. I've got a friend, okay? It's just, it's a friend. I, I, he's a friend. I could not drag him to church to save my life. I mean, I, I really think if I said, listen, I... I think I could die if you don't come to church tonight. I think he would say, I hope it works out for you. He wants nothing to do with the house of God. As you visit with him, as you talk to him, as you, as you hear his story, you, you hear that, you know, he's got some habits that, Christians ought not be having. And he'll admit that, you know, maybe in anger or in absent-mindedness or in surprise, certain words come out that ought not come out of a Christian's mouth. And so you visit with him and you talk to him and you have a very honest conversation with him. I at least appreciate that, that it's an honest conversation but here's the thing. Whenever you begin to talk to him about spiritual things, whenever you begin to talk to him uh, about things that matter, you know what he's convinced of? He's good. Not because of what he does, but because of what he says. I visit with him on a regular basis, and he loves to talk to me about growing up in the church. He's got wonderful childhood memories of growing up in the church. He loves it. I mean, he, he will tell you about the dinners on the grounds, the potluck dinners, the, the dinners before church on Wednesday nights, and how everyone would come after work to eat at the church, and, and then they'd have a service, and it was a good time. I mean, he can reminisce with you for a long time about church as a child. When it comes to his theology, he's conservative. He's not into the ecumenical mindset. He's not into the mindset that, that all religions are equal. He would be quick to say Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. He is conservative in his politics. He can't stand the liberal agenda. And just right on down the line, 
he is what you and I would want a person to be. But where's the breakdown? The breakdown is obviously between the speech and the power. There is a breakdown between what is coming out of the mouth and what is actually being lived. But the problem is this. There is a sense of being convinced in his mind that because I'm saying it, Therefore, that authenticates my testimony. And the Apostle Paul would say this, I'm not worried about your speech. I'm worried about seeing the power of God being manifest in your life. And as the power of God is manifest in your life, there will just be certain things that take care of themselves that speech will not always be necessary to to communicate to prove who you are. Does it make sense? What matters? What is important? It's not what a person says. It's what the person does. Uh, Brother Kyle, I mean, come on. We know that. Yeah. We know it. And how often do we get sucked into it? Have you ever gotten sucked into this? You say, well, sucked into what? I I mean this. We talk big and live little. I mean, if, if anybody needs to know what's right, they could ask us. If anybody needs to know what they ought to be thinking, they can ask us. If anybody needs to know what they need to be changing, they could ask us. If anybody needs to know the direction they ought to be going, they could ask us. I mean, we basically have all the answers. All you've got to do is talk to us, and it is evident with our speech that we know it all. And yet, how many times do we talk big, but when we're living the daily life, that's supposed to be the Christian life, we're not living it near as well as we speak or talk it up. I think three of us are acknowledging that we've done that before, okay? We're we're guilty of it because it is so easy to convince ourselves, like the friend of mine, like the Corinthian believers, it is so easy to convince ourselves that what we're doing is good because we are saying all the right things. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I suspect it's happened to at least a couple of us. But because we are so good at saying the right things, not only are we not living it, listen now, we don't even recognize when it's brought to our attention that we're not living it. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it's like one day the light finally comes on and you're thinking to yourself, how did I miss this for so long? How did I not see this before? This is embarrassing. 
This is, this is disgusting. I mean, this is repulsive. And somebody says, yeah, I tried talking to you about that a year ago. Yeah, I know. I just I didn't see it. Yeah, you know why we didn't see it? Because we were such good talkers that we couldn't even recognize that we were doing something wrong. Somebody said, a year? I wish it was only a year that I had fouled up on this. It's been this way for five years, ten years, twenty years, where I was so convinced I was good, not because of my actions, but because I talked it up so good. You and I, whether we like to to come face to face with this truth or not, you and I are so easily sucked into this this Christian way of thinking that if we say it, then that authenticates who we are as a believer. And the Apostle Paul would try to remind us tonight, as he tried to remind the Corinthian believers, that is not the criteria. That is not what I'm looking for. I don't want you to be able to talk about the Christian life. I want to be able to see that you live the Christian life. Friends, you know this. I know that you know this, but it's my responsibility to remind us of this. If I'm not living it, if you're not living it, then we're not getting a passing grade right now. We're just not. It's that simple. If all I can do is talk the talk, but in my private life, as you know, I'm not walking the walk, then I'm not passing just because I can talk about it. I'm only being the child of God when I am living the Christian life as God is leading and guiding and instructing where the power of God is being manifest in my life. Are the victories in my life going to look different than the victories in your life? Probably so. Are the things that I'm working on and the things that you are working on, are they going to be different from time to time? Of course they are. But it is only when you and I are walking close to the Lord, living with some desire to live in obedience to Him, having some kind of an awareness of sin, a sensitivity to sin, and a desire to correct whatever sin is brought to our attention, it is only really then that our actions are supporting what we're professing. I ask you this evening, it's just a question, I ask you this evening, if you had to be honest, which one day we will have to be honest, probably be good if we did it down here rather than up there, but if we had to be honest, could we say tonight, by the grace of God, the power of God is obvious in my life? Or, we have, or would we have to admit, oh man, a lot of times I'm just, I'm speech. I'm just talk. I know the right answers. I know what I'm supposed to say. But if I'm honest, so many times what I say and what I do, it's not, it's not the same.
We need to be honest. Are we living it or do we just talk it up big? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you tonight. I do pray that you'd help us to take just a moment and give some consideration to our spiritual lives, where we're at in our walk with you. Lord, as I said a moment ago, I just acknowledge again right now that it is easy to get sucked up into this mindset of being a wonderful talker but not so good of a doer. God, for us to know the right answers but really to lack the power of God in our lives. So I pray that tonight you'd help us to do some soul-searching, some evaluating, and if there's anything that needs to change, that you'd help us to do so. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. As Lord